We're continuing our study this morning in the book of 1 Peter, and I want to encourage you, if you haven't already done so, to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to begin reading there in verse 1 um, a little bit later on. I'm so grateful for those that are reading Scripture for us. We have uh, such large chunks, from my perspective, of Scripture that we're studying, and so it helps us, I think, to hear it uh, before we study it. And of course, because of the time, we're not able to cover everything, I think, that is contained in the book of First Peter. But each week, in praying about it, uh, the Lord is focusing us on very specific things. This is a great book. If you are in trouble and you're experiencing one problem after another after another, this book was written just for you and for your encouragement. We're calling this morning's message, Hungry. The title makes more sense as we get into it, part of a series called God's Got This. Tomorrow morning, Vacation Bible School erupts here at Wynn Baptist Church, and I'm excited about it. Each year, we get to watch sometimes the same kids come, and they move from grade to grade to grade, and it's a joy to watch them grow. And as a dad, it's a joy to watch my kids grow, and it's a joy now to watch my grandson grow. And we take pleasure as parents as they develop in each step along the way. Your Heavenly Father also desires that you would grow. And He takes pleasure in you as you grow as well. And so I want to build this study of this particular passage of Scripture around several questions this morning. And, and we're going to focus on the idea of growth as Peter teaches it in these first ten verses of chapter 2. Here's the first question I want to pose this morning. Why do I need to grow? Why do I need to grow? Well, obviously, if I don't grow, I'm going to be an immature Christian, something less than what God had in mind. But here are the, here are the characteristics of immaturity. They're going to just sort of stick with a person if they don't grow. First, because immature Christians are superficial. And I need to grow so that I can outgrow that superficiality. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, the apostle Paul talks about this. He said, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now, you were not able to receive it. And even now, you are still not Able And he draws a distinction between two kinds of people in the Corinthian church. Those who were spiritual and those who were carnal. The word spiritual is a very specific word used by Paul and Peter in the passage we're going to be studying. And it, and it always refers to someone who has some contact, interaction, something to do with the Holy Spirit of God. And so a spiritual person is somebody who has been not only indwelled by the Holy Spirit, but who has come under his influence and his control. A carnal Christian may possess the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit doesn't possess him or her. He is not under their influence, and so they live just like a person without Christ lives. They live like a lost person, and they tend to be very focused on selfish desires and selfish wants. They can talk the talk, but there's very little walk. And because of that, they are ill-prepared for tough times. So immature Christians are superficial. There's a second characteristic. 
Immature Christians are self-centered. Paul goes on in verse 3. He says, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you. He's not talking about the world. He's talking about the church. Envy, strife, divisions among you. Are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? And so that immaturity creates a fussiness. It's about me. I want this. I want that. And when I don't get it, then I cause envy, strife, and division. There's a third characteristic of immaturity. Susceptible. Immature Christians are susceptible. In Ephesians 4, verse 11, the apostle says, and he himself gave, and he has a list there, and the last one is pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. You see, a lot of people think that the pastor's job is to do the ministry. That's what we hire the pastor to do, is to do the ministry. And yet God's word says that the job of the pastor is to help the member or the members of the body of the Christ do ministry. Their, their calling, their assignment from God. And you have that. You have a calling. God has a plan for your life. And my assignment and the assignment of the other pastors that are part of this church family is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now look what happens if that doesn't happen for the edifying of the body of Christ. Then he says in verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men. So one of the goals of the pastor's equipping is so that the believer would not be susceptible to theological error, to biblical error, to a lifestyle error, and to no longer be a child. And if that person is immature and fails to grow, then they are gullible. They'll believe anything. And they're susceptible to falling into false teaching. Uh, when my kids were growing up, we were wrestling, playing around, and I won't name names, but one day in the midst of a pile, they liked to pile on dad. And one of the times they piled on, I said, now look, I said, y'all know that if you push too hard on somebody's belly button, that their legs will fall off. I just said that in passing. One of the children believed that for several years. And when they would wrestle with their other siblings, they would, the siblings would like get close to tickle them. They'd say, no, 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 no! Because they were petrified, see? They were, they were gullible, and they're probably abused by their dad. Number four, immature Christians are also slow Slow. Hebrews 5 verse 12 says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. And so there's a progression that should take place. And for whatever reason, the writer of Hebrews is addressing Christians who were slow. They were not developing as they should. When I was little, my mom was a single mom. And I would go to daycare. And then one year I started going to first grade. No one told me there was a difference. I wish someone had explained to me that first grade was different than daycare. Because when I got there, I did the same kinds of things. And I was slow. They wanted to hold me back. And, um, and obviously I made some progress later. But, but I was slow. And immature Christians are the same way. They ought to get to a place where they can actually lead others to Christ, help others grow as disciples. And yet, 
in this case, they were slow. They were immature. And so if I don't grow, I'm going to remain immature. Here's a second question we need to consider today. What does it mean for me to grow as a Christian? And this is where that reading that the Nixes did for us is so important because there's a lot here in these 10 verses. But Peter gives us two word pictures in this text for growth and what growth is. In the first three verses, he describes a process of individual growth like a baby. In verse 2, he says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. The process of individual growth like a baby. And then the rest of the the section, verses 4 through 10, he describes a process of corporate growth like a building. So one picture is of a baby who grows. The other is of a building that grows. He describes us as living stones in verse 5 who are being built up a spiritual house. Now, there are a couple things you and I can conclude from these two word pictures of growth, that growth is like a baby and growth is like a building. First of all, I can understand that growth is a process. Growth is a process. I start in one place, but God doesn't intend that I stay where I am, that I actually wind up somewhere else. There's a process to it. There's also this clear picture here that God is at work in us. And in both descriptions, the word that is used to describe growth is, is passive. Verse 2 is, newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. That word grow is not something the baby is causing to happen. The word grow there is something that's happening because something else is causing it. The same thing in verse 5, you also as living stones are being built up. The stones don't build themselves up into a building. The stones are being built up by someone else. And in this case, it's the Lord Jesus. He's the cornerstone. In that day and time in construction, the cornerstone was the first stone that was laid in a building project. Every other stone was placed in relationship to the cornerstone. And the one who does the placing in this corporate growth, the growth, Paul uses the word body, the growth of the body, the one who places us, has a plan for us, has a calling for us, is the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, who is Lord. And so there are these two pictures. It's a process. It's God at work. A process of a baby that grows, a process of a building that grows. Now, there's also embedded in this text The idea that growth has purpose. In the word picture of a baby, I think it's clear that the purpose is maturity. Maturity. That you and I would become like Jesus. And you say, well, well, how do you know that, Pastor? Well, here's the first clue. In verse 1, it says, laying aside all malice. That means you don't like somebody. All deceit. All hypocrisy. Envy. And all evil speaking. Now, those are highly relational words, aren't they? That describes your relationships with other people. In context, you need to bear in mind that when the Bible was originally written, that the earliest documents did not have chapter divisions. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3 didn't have chapter divisions, did not have verses. Verses. 
identifying the different sentences. There were no verses. You say, well, it would be hard to find your place. Well, you, you kind of memorized it based on the phrases. Not only did it not have chapters or verses, it didn't have punctuation, and it didn't have spaces, and all the letters were in caps. Greek capital letters. No spaces, no punctuation. And what we know is that the end of chapter 1 leads right into chapter 2. It's actually part of the same idea. And you'll remember when we studied last week that the end of chapter 1, what was he talking about? He's saying, love one another fervently out of a pure heart. Do you remember that? He says, because you have obeyed the truth, you believed the gospel, having been born again, because God has done this work inside of you. You've been changed. You've been transformed. Love one another. And then he says, therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Our second clue goes back to verse 22 of chapter 1. Love one another. What's he talking about? Maturity, when you are like Christ, is when you love other believers and you love people. So the growth of a baby, the goal, is maturity. What about a building? Well, the clues we have in the text... Go back, go back to verse 5. It says, being built up a spiritual house. And that word spiritual means having something to do with the Holy Spirit. And so if we are being built up as a spiritual house, we are a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit of God. Then he calls us a holy priesthood. And suddenly we're not just the building, we're the priests in the building. And uh, who, verse 5, to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Spiritual sacrifices, again, sacrifices that are prompted and powered by the Holy Spirit. And so the goal is ministry, first to the Lord and then to be available to, for His use. We are His ministers. And so this building, not the mortar, but the people, we are being built up by Jesus, placed exactly where he wants us to be, and then we serve him, prompted by the Holy Spirit, and powered by the Holy Spirit. Two incredible word pictures. Like a baby to become a tour, like a building to do ministry. He says at verse 9, towards the end of this passage, he talks about the contrast between those who are being built up because we believe him and we, we believe he is precious. God has chosen Jesus and he is precious to the Father and we believe that Jesus is precious and that's such a contrast to others who reject him and they don't believe. And then he comes to verse 8. It says, they stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Why? That you may proclaim the praises of him. That's part of our ministry. And that's a lifestyle. To be able to tell others about the excellencies of our God. To talk about him. To share him. Not just to to, uh, to come and sing a song, but it's a lifestyle telling others about our God that we serve. What does it mean for me to grow as a Christian? Well, we've got these two word pictures. Here's a third question we need to pick up. How can I grow as a Christian? How can I grow as a Christian? P. 
Peter has a formula for growth. Now, this is not everything there is to say about spiritual growth, but this is what Peter says about it. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, he describes it this way. Here's his formula. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So here's the formula. Spiritual growth equals a supernatural diet plus an insatiable desire. Growth equals diet plus desire. That's what verse 2 describes. So let's start with the diet. Uh, What is the supernatural diet? Well, he talks about the pure milk of the Word. Not just any milk, but it's described as the pure milk of the Word. Pure meaning not mixed with anything else. In ancient times, as in today, you can stretch your product if you dilute it and you keep selling it, you see. And, and he says, no, we don't want diluted milk. We want the pure thing. We want the unmixed thing. And then he calls it the pure milk of the Word. And then depending on what Bible translation you're using, you're going to see something different there. In the New King James, which is what I typically use, and the New American Standard, it says the pure milk of the Word. In the NIV and the ESV, it talks about the pure spiritual milk. Both translations are actually explanations because the word that they're trying to get a hold of is not an easy word to communicate. In the Greek, it's a word that we get logical from, logikon. It's, it's, we get logic from it. And, it. and you can almost hear it. It has something to do with the mind something to do with our thoughts. And in fact, the root of that word, logos, is is a Greek way of describing a word. More than just a written word, it is an expression of someone's mind. Jesus Christ is called the logos, or the word of God. He is the expression of the mind and the thoughts of God. Everything God wants you to know about him, he has fully revealed and expressed in Jesus Christ, who is the word or the logos of God. So when we talk about desiring the pure milk of the word, we're talking about milk that has something to do with our thoughts, which are words. Most of us think with words. Our thoughts, and and this milk does something to our thoughts. It affects us. So it's the pure Rational milk. The only other place this word is used is in Romans 12.1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And that's our word again. In other words, it makes sense. It's rational. It's logical. That based on everything God has done, you would present your bodies as living sacrifices to him. So what is the milk that our, our mind needs in order to grow? Well, in context, again, coming at the end of chapter 1 in verse 22, he says, you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. Verse 23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Verse 25, but the word of God endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached 
to you. I think that by the time you get to this statement, like newborn babes desire or crave the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, I think we understand that why some translators called it the word. Because clearly what he's describing is the milk that you and I need is the word of God. So how can I grow? Growth involves a certain diet plus desire. So according to Peter, I grow by doing a couple things. First, I grow by making the word of God a part of me. We grow through the word of God. Now, earlier in chapter 1, it says, I'm born again when I hear the Word of God. There's a supernatural reaction that takes place. When I trust Him, I am born again. Well, my spiritual growth happens the same way. It requires the Scripture. I cannot grow apart from the things that God has for me to know. And so I grow by making the Word of God a part of me. It's a supernatural diet. And, uh, and it's got to get inside of me. You've heard the old saying, you are what you eat. Uh, some of us, uh, we are the way we are because we never eat the Word. <laughs> and we need to get it inside of us. So number two, I grow by accepting and applying the truth. I, that's how I get it inside of me, by accepting it and applying it. On the back of your, your uh, listening guide this morning that's in your worship folder, on the back of it, you'll see a little diagram. I need a magnifying glass, kind of small print. I copied this from the Navigators organization uh, with their blessing, and I put this here because it describes how you can take the Scripture. Obviously, growth involves more than reading it. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But it involves me fully engaging the Scripture, holding it in my mind so that this very powerful Word of God can begin to change me as I look at it, as I listen to it, as I absorb it into my life. And so I offer that as a help to you. Let me give you one illustration before we go to the, the final point. What am I describing here? How do I grow? It re- growth requires a certain diet and desire. When I was growing up, um, my dad was gone a lot. And so when I became a dad, uh, I had divorce in my background. My family had been broken up through divorce. And so when I became a dad, I wanted to get it right. Whatever it meant to be a dad, I wanted to get it right. And, and one of the passages that, of, that defined what my goal was as a dad, more than any other, I found in the qualifications for church leadership in 1 Timothy. So you can just jot this down in the margin. But here's what it says in 1 Timothy 3, verse 4. Qualification for an overseer, a pastor in a church. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. I remember when I read that, I thought, what does that mean? Having children in submission, that can't be too hard. I mean, a scared child is a good child. I mean, I could terrorize a child into submission. You know, having a child in submission, that can't be a big deal. That's not what he says. He says, having children in submission, how? A certain way, with all reverence. 
You know what that means? That means that my goal as a dad is to have the kind of relationship with my son or my daughter that they revere their dad. They don't worship him. They don't cower in fear of him. But they have such an affection for him that he is a treasure to them. And they revere him. Having his children submission with all reverence. You know what that means to me as a dad, what I need to do? If I'm going to achieve that goal, you know what I need to do? This is how I concluded it. After thinking about it, eating it, making it into my heart, putting it into my mind. Here was my conclusion. That my goal as a dad, if I'm going to ever have my children's submission with all reverence, my goal as a dad is to win their heart. If I can't win their heart, they'll never revere me as their dad. Why would they? Why would they? I, could, I can win their obedience. You know, you got to do it. Or I can win their heart. Have your children's mission, he says, with all reverence. Changed my life. It really did. Because I understood at that point what God was doing with me. He was winning my heart. And he was winning my submission because he won my heart. God has called me as a dad to win the hearts of my children. Do you see how we grow as we begin to understand what God is saying to us, what God is showing us about himself, what God is showing us about ourselves and where we need to go? And I couldn't stay at the same place anymore. I had to go to a new place. I couldn't stay where I was. I couldn't do what my dad did. I couldn't do what my grandfather did. I needed to go to a new place. Whether they did good or not so good, doesn't matter. I needed to grow. Finally, number four. Is it just about the Scripture? Is it just about getting the Bible, committing it to memory, studying it, learning what it says? Number four, what is the single greatest factor affecting my spiritual growth? Because embedded in these verses is something that if you just stop with what we have said, you're going to miss something really important. What is the single greatest factor affecting my spiritual growth? Verse two, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Verse 3, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Verse 4, coming to him as a living 